Today is May 14th, 2021. Governors start to pull back federal unemployment benefits. Republicans in the House say the Capitol riots weren't as bad as they seemed. And the CDC officially says if you get the vax, you can lose the mask. I'm your host, Austin Taylor, and this is Split the Difference Podcast. Here we take a look at both sides of the political aisle as we try to bridge the gap between today's biggest issues. Remember, times may be divisive and we may not always agree, but together we can stay level-headed, be reasonable, and always split the difference. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends, Split the Difference family. We have another fantabulous episode for you here today, finishing your week off strong like you know we always try to do, bringing you all the best news and insights from both sides of the aisle, the good, the bad, the ugly, and of course, doing our best to try and split the difference and find that sweet, sweet truth that oftentimes lies right there in the middle. If you have not already, make sure you go and check out our latest guest episode. It's with JT Brittingham. We had an awesome time sitting around and talking about all kinds of cool stuff from the COVID-19 vaccine to, um, I mean, manufacturing and pharmaceutical companies to JT being a new dad and how fun that is. And it was a really great conversation that I think many of you will absolutely enjoy. So if you haven't gone and listened, go and give it a listen because I think that you all will really really enjoy it. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop on into our first story of the day. Story number one. So for our first story of the day, governors starting to pull back on the federal unemployment benefits. So all of the states so far are run and led by Republican governors, and they are basically arguing that the federal benefits are actually causing more problems now than they are actually doing good. It is 13 states total as of now. That includes Montana, good old South Carolina, the Palmetto State, Alabama, Iowa, Idaho, Missouri, Wyoming, Mississippi, Arkansas, Tennessee, Utah, and North Dakota. So, Let's go ahead and hop in real quick. This is CNBC talking about this uh, just a day or so ago. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce now calling for the end of the $300 weekly supplemental unemployment benefit. Our Eamon Javers just spoke with Chamber C uh, and has a first on CNBC for us. Eamon. Yeah, David, that's right. I spoke with Neil Bradley. He's the executive vice president of the Chamber of Commerce just a couple of minutes ago. And he said that, you know, this unemployment benefit, it might have been the right time last year to do that. But now the time has passed. They're calling for an end to this supplemental $300 a week in payments to workers, saying there's simply a worker shortage in this country. But I asked him, though, isn't there a wage shortage? If you're struggling to get people to come out to work, isn't that more about wages than it is about workers? Okay. So, um, interestingly enough, uh, and there we'll talk about what both sides of the aisle actually think about all this, but I guess first we can lay a little bit of the groundwork, okay? So, I talked a little bit about this in a podcast that I did last week, basically about kind of the current state of the economy as it sits right now and kind of what's going on in the labor market because we're actually in an incredibly unusual time, okay? COVID, if you can believe it or not, actually shook things up and nobody really has experienced anything like this. So I think that there are a lot of people, especially at the federal level, that are politicians that are working or have been working overtime to try and figure out the best way to remedy the problem that is going on, okay? So one of the ways that they have done this is in the previous stimulus packages, laying out 
uh, federal unemployment benefits that would go on top of the people's current state unemployment benefits that they are getting. Okay. So in other words, if you lost your job with over the, over the past year or so, you can go through and apply for unemployment insurance or unemployment benefits that would then be paid to you by the state uh, with a tack on $300 a week from the federal government that would hopefully help you get by, get your feet underneath you, pay your bills as you are out of work while you are looking for another job. That's kind of the purpose around unemployment benefits. The entirety of unemployment, social security, disability, things like this, all go back to Great Depression era uh, kind of New Deal policies that were put into place by FDR with the understanding that they would be temporary. And that, I think that is what uh, a lot of politicians said that they were going to be, that all these unemployment benefits were going to be temporary. A lot of them were supposed to be running out in June anyway. And so some of the states are basically saying, why, why do we have still, why do we still have people on, on, you know, all these unemployment benefits if we, we need more workers, we need people actually going in and doing jobs, but they're refusing to do it. So um, there's a, a growing list now of governors across the country, all GOP, that are starting to pull these back, okay? So Georgia Governor Brian Kemp said this in a statement, quote, to build on our momentum, accelerate a full re economic recovery, and get more Georgians back to work in good-paying jobs, our state will end its participation in the federal COVID-19 unemployment programs effective June 26th, Okay. He then said, as we emerge from this pandemic, Georgians deserve to get back to normal. And today's announced economic recovery plan will help more employees and businesses across our state do so. So Ohio Governor Mike DeWine said in a Thursday tweet that the program was basically meant to be temporary and now it's time for it to go. So he tweeted out. Uh, that his administration will inform the United States Department of Labor that they intend to stop participation in the program on June 26th as well. Um, he said when this program, quote, when this program was put in place, it was a lifeline for many Americans at a time when the only weapon we had in fighting the virus was to slow its spread through social distancing, masking, and sanita sanitization. He said, that is no longer the case. That is no longer our only tool in this fight. This assistance has always intended to be temporary, okay? So uh, this kind of comes along the same time that the CDC announced that fully vaccinated people could remove their masks, which we'll get into in our third story. Um, and vaccinations are rising across the entire country, right? So what do both sides of the aisle have to say about this? What does the left say? What does the right have to say? So the left is obviously extremely upset by this. There has been uh, a large portion of the left has been very, very, very pointedly wanting more economic stimulus pushed into the economy through the federal government, okay? This is normally more progressive policy where you have a larger federal government that is taking in more money and giving more money out, okay? We talk about this on the podcast all the time, okay? Progressive economics is normally Keynesian in theory, and the idea is the more money that is injected into the economy, the better, okay? Okay? And the best way to do that oftentimes is with an incredibly large, bloated economic plan that is driven by the federal government. A lot of the people on the left normally have looked at this COVID-19 pandemic and they have said the people that need to be rescued uh, need to be rescued by the federal government. There's nobody else that can and will help them out. It is the federal government's role to step in and give these people the means by which to be able to survive. 
I also pointed the fact that uh, the unemployment rate was incredibly high, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. It currently has not fallen back down to the levels that it was at pre-2020 and the pandemic actually hit. I think right before the pandemic hit, it was sitting just under 4% uh, unemployment rate. Right now, we're currently right at 6 And actually, the unemployment rate actually went up last month. Uh, and there are many people, many different theories as to why this happened. Uh, the left believes that this happened because the COVID-19 pandemic is still raging. People still are not allowed to go back to work. Jobs are not nearly, are not nearly as fruitful as they once were. So people don't have the opportunity to get back in and actually get to jobs. Whereas the other side of the aisle, and this is where we'll kind of get into the rights opinions, believes that that is not the case, that the jobs are actually open. However, people don't want to go back to work because they're getting so much money from the government that it wouldn't make sense for them to go back to work. So for example, right now, if you are unemployed and you are living on the totally just on unemployment benefits alone, okay, you are making about $15 an hour okay, for a 40-hour work week. That includes state and federal unemployment benefits, okay? The vast majority of the people that were displaced by the COVID-19 pandemic were oftentimes people that were working hourly wages. They were oftentimes people in the service industry, in the service sector. Maybe they were working in restaurants. Maybe they were working like an hourly, maybe a, a harder labor job or something like that, where they may have been making eight, 10, $12 an hour, right? It would not make sense for those people to go back to work if they're making more money sitting on their couch. I know that I wouldn't. Why in the world would I go and work for 40 hours a week when I can literally stay at home in my gym shorts and watch Netflix and make more money? It completely disincentivizes the reason to go back to work, right? Nobody's going to do that, or at least not a smart person is going to do that. So Republicans are coming in and they're saying people do not have an incentive to go back to work, and as a result, they're not doing it, okay? We have all of these jobs that are still available. We currently have a lot of jobs that are being created. However, there are not many new jobs that are uh, that people are actually going back to. So we have a huge labor shortage right now in the United States that is primarily being caused by people not being willing to go back to work because most people are going to do what you know fiscally or monetarily is going to be the best thing for them, okay? If they knew that they were going to be making more money by going back to work, of course, they'd go back to work. But if they're going to make more money sitting at home getting federal unemployment benefits, of course, that's what they're going to do. So the real crux of the issue, and I think how the left is really trying to frame this, is the real problem here is not the fact that we have people that are, you know, wanting to stay at home on federal unemployment benefits. The real problem here is that the pretty mediocre federal unemployment benefits are actually more than what a lot of these people are making in their day-to-day job. So a lot of the left is saying, this this just highlights how horrible our wage growth is in the United States. And people are willing to sit at home and not go back to work so that they can, you know, get in that $15 an hour. Then why in the world would you say that the problem is the federal government? You should look at all these businesses and say, why are you not paying these people more than $15 an hour? Because in all reality, $15 an hour is barely enough to live on, especially if you have kids, right? If you have kids, if you have a family, $15 an hour is not nearly enough to be able to live on, and especially if you want to be able to save up any money over a long period of time, right? And so the left is saying, well, 
if if this is the problem, then we need to figure out a way to basically stymie to get to get wage growth to go up. And Republicans are saying, no, there's nothing wrong with the wages, right? If, if wages will go up naturally, if you know a lot of places are need to hire people, right? There's a shortage in the labor market, then wages will actually go up. And the Republicans are basically arguing here that you know a lot of these and different companies and stuff, uh, the, the labor market is artificial because there's a lot of people that can work, right? But they're refusing to. And so Republicans are sitting, are sitting back and they're like, you know what? We have to get these people off of unemployment benefits because they're supposed to be temporary. This is draining the federal government of money and of resources for people that just refuse to go back to work, right? Um, it's also impo- important to, I think, note here as well, uh, Joe Biden in a speech on Monday came out and said, quote, we're going to make it clear that anyone collecting unemployment who is offered a suitable job must take the job or lose their unemployment benefits. Okay. And what that is basically highlighting is that the purpose of unemployment is to help someone that is actively seeking employment. Okay. But if you are sitting on unemployment and you're not actively seeking employment, or if you're getting a job offer that would be technically better than the unemployment benefits that you're getting, right, that would be, I guess, suitable job in what he said, then you have to take that, okay? Who is tracking that? How is the federal government or a state government ever going to know? whether or not you got a job offer that you would deem as suitable or that the federal government would deem as suitable, right? Nobody has any means by which to track that. We don't have the infrastructure within our federal or state governments, right, at the just this bureaucracy, this gigantic bureaucracy to keep track of millions of people that are receiving unemployment benefits right now. There is no way that they'd be able to be like, okay, Austin, you know, you, you haven't gotten any job offering yet. That's, that would be suitable that you'd be able to get off to. Uh, well, that's not true because we had one employer that you applied at call in and tell us that you were going to go, that they gave you a job offer and you refused to do it. Who's going to the DMV? Who's going to do it? Social security office, the treasury. No, no federal government building is going to be like are tracking all of these people and their weekly calls to go get jobs. That's never going to happen. So, of course, if you're making more money sitting on unemployment, you're going to stay on unemployment. How are they going to kick you off of it? They can't prove anything. So it's interesting because both sides have an extremely good argument here. Okay, On one hand, of course, there are people that are staying on unemployment because they're literally making more money, right? But on the other hand... It is ridiculous that there are over 10 million people in the United States right now that just have no desire to go back to work because they don't make more than $15 an hour. $15 an hour is not a lot of money in your wages, okay? And that's not hating on anybody that makes less than $15 an hour. People should make more than that, right? Um, And there needs to be more wage growth in the United States. It's just... You know, when you have large corporations that have an extremely abundant labor market and they can choose whoever it is that they want to come in and work for them, they're able to pay people a lot less because there's more competition for those jobs. So we'll have to see how all of this starts to play out. Um, There is a strong possibility that um, more Republican governors continue to pull this back. There's also a strong possibility that it's met with a lot of hate from the other side of the aisle. There's also a possibility that the, you know, that the economy heats up very, very quickly. uh, And there just really aren't enough workers to get into, get into the workforce, even when unemployment benefits start to go away. And wage growth starts to go up, 
You never know. So, well, I kind of have to see how all of this really plays out here over the next couple of months. So with all of that, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our second story, story number two. So for our second story of the day, the Capitol riots of January 6th are now back up to the top of the news uh, because there's been some more controversy around it, primarily around what some Republicans in the House of representatives said about it this week. And uh, Nancy Pelosi did not like what they said at all. So let's hop in real quick. This is Reuters reporting on this just yesterday. Let's listen to what Nancy Pelosi had to say. Sadly, yesterday there was a hearing in the uh, Committee on Government Reform that was quite appalling. I, it's no use my even telling you about it. You have to see it for yourself because you would not believe that a, a Republican member on the committee said that what happened that day was just the normal, orderly visit of people to the Capitol. Really? Really? Well, I don't know on a normal day around here when people are threatening to hang the vice president of the United States or shoot the speaker in the forehead uh, or disrupt uh, and injure so many uh, police officers. Uh, I, I don't consider that normal. Multiple people were killed. Over 140 police officers were issued. A gallows was uh, put up, and the attackers chanted, hang the vice president. Normal? All right. So that's Nancy Pelosi pretty much taking it to some of those Republicans. Um, normally, I do not agree with a lot that Nancy Pelosi says, uh, because I think Nancy Pelosi is an incredibly good politician and grandstander and she kind of pretty much flows wherever the wind needs to take her right she's like a leaf in the wind whichever way she thinks is going to get her the most power she normally is going to go in that way uh however nancy pelosi is 100 percent correct amundo right here okay so what she's referring to is a meeting on wednesday in the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, okay? And it was about the Capitol Hill riots, the Capitol attack, everything that happened on January 6th. And some Republicans uh, said some things that y'all may find kind of surprising. So, Representative Paul Gosar, Gosar, maybe? Paul Gosar, out of Arizona, referred to the violent insurrectionists as, quote, peaceful rioters. Wow. Um... Uh, Andrew Clyde, Representative Andrew Clyde out of Georgia, said there never really was a capital insurrection. Instead, that it was just, quote, a normal tourist visit. Um, Representative Jody Heiss out of Georgia claimed the rioters storming the building who supported President Donald Trump were the ones who lost their lives that day and that they weren't the ones taking other people's lives. So in other words, the people that were there supporting Donald Trump, they lost their lives fighting the good fight right? It was unfortunate. They weren't taking anybody's lives. They were just there trying to support who rightfully won the presidency, Donald Trump. God, right? Um, so obviously that is absolutely unbelievable, right? And the fact that like we are only a couple months removed from that and all of a sudden we're acting like, man, not a whole lot went on that day. Like, oh, the media just made that out to be worse than it was. Those weren't really rioters. Those were peaceful protesters. And then there were just a couple of people that ended up doing bad things. But, you know, you can't just blame a whole crowd for that, right? It's almost like if we think back a long time ago to last year, there were these protests that were going on all over the country. And they were primarily, you know, protesting Police brutality, and they were primarily protesting 
racial injustice in the United States. And there were some riots, there were some protests that ended up turning into riots. And if we remember back, there were a ton of Republicans that were like, those are all rioters. Those are all terrible people. All those people that are out there screaming and yelling, they're just wreaking havoc, doing all this terrible stuff. You know what? We need to, we need to send in the National Guard. We need to round these people up and we need to send them to the jailhouse, right? Because these people are out in our streets and they're doing terrible stuff. They're burning down buildings. They're breaking into federal buildings and state capitals and all this stuff. We need, we need to do something about this. And it is almost like the exact same thing is happening except on the other side of the aisle. And the hypocrisy is not lost on me. So Nancy Pelosi said Thursday that reporters needed to watch Phil needed to watch footage from the hearing if they hadn't already because they'd have to see it to believe that lawmakers would actually make the claims they did. She said it was, quote, beyond denial and fell into the range of sick. <laughs> so if you don't remember, okay, on the Capitol Hill riots, uh, it led to five deaths, uh, more than 140 police officers that were injured, and 440 people being charged so far with participating in the attack. So that is not just people that were arrested. That is 440 people that were actually charged with participating in the attack. Um, what is absolutely unbelievable to me, like blows my mind, is that the Republican, as a whole, as a party, are so, I mean, just sold out for Donald Trump that they can't look at the insurrection of the Capitol building of the United States and say, you know what? That was pretty bad, and it's not a good look on us, and it's definitely not a good look on Donald Trump, and it is a terrible look on a lot of our constituents. How in the world are they so consumed with following Donald Trump that they can't look at what happened on January 6th and just say objectively, that was not good. It definitely was not just a normal day of tourism, right? Like, I think we can all sit back, we can all be like, you know what, something was a little different about January 6th than any other normal day, right? Donald Trump stood up on a stage, like I literally a mile away from where all this was going down and told all of his supporters to, quote, fight like hell in order to save the country, right? And then not too long afterwards, they were resurrecting gallows in front of the Capitol building and screaming to hang Mike Pence because he refused to bow to pressure from Donald Trump to not certify the election results. At some point, the Republicans have to be like, this is not good. Like, we are in way too deep right now, okay? They also just got rid of Liz Cheney, right, off of her positions of power within the GOP there in the House, took her off her committee. Liz Cheney obviously did not support Donald Trump, openly was against Donald Trump in just about any way that she could have been, right? She's removed. She didn't fall in line. Don't fall in line with Donald Trump, then you're out. I am serious when I say I understand and I get the ideals and the tenets and the and the pursuits of republicanism and conservatism and what they're going for, right? Donald Trump ain't it. And I cannot say that any more emphatically, okay? Donald Trump does not support and does not spout the ideal tenets of conservatism. 
He just does not. And when you end up going after an incredibly, you know, populist, na- hyper nationalist figurehead in and someone like Donald Trump, inevitably stuff like the Capitol riots are going to happen. I just, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it, right? Like if you right now are a Republican in the house and you're even slightly trying to justify what happened on January 6th, you may need to look in the mirror and be like, I may have gone too far. This is not looking good for me right now, right? Because it's not going to look good going into midterms next year. Because as soon as they're going into midterms, Every single one of those Republicans that tried to, you know, sugarcoat and act like what happened at the Capitol riot wasn't a big deal, they're going to throw that footage up on commercials and they're just going to play clips of what happened at the Capitol riot. And all those constituents are going to be sitting there being like, what is this person talking about right now? They were, they were like beating police officers with fire extinguishers up out there, right? Like what, what are they even saying? So I don't know. I don't know where what what these Republicans are doing right now. I have no idea. I don't understand. I don't know how Republicans think that they can move forward and gain more votes in general elections if they are supporting someone that really did incite a capital riot. I don't I don't know. I don't know. But maybe they're maybe they know something I don't. So that's also a possibility. So with all that, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our third story and last story. Story number three. So for our third story of the day, the CDC comes out and they say fully vaccinated people can stop wearing face masks, physical distancing in most settings, okay? People who have been fully vaccinated, however, should still follow precautions in doctor's offices, airports, nursing homes, um, basically places where you're going to be around a ton of people um, that may be high risk. CDC says everywhere else, though, if you're vaccinated... You can shed the mask, which really good news, right? Kind of means that we're on the up and up here. And I fully believe that we are. So um, the fully protected people can resume doing many of the things that they had to give up uh, due to the pandemic. CDC director Rochelle Walensky said, she said, quote, we have all longed for this moment when we can get back to a sense of normalcy. That moment has come for those who are fully vaccinated. So uh, the CDC considers people that are people to be fully vaccinated either two weeks after receiving their second dose from an mRNA vaccine, such as one from Pfizer or Moderna, um, or two weeks after getting the single shot vaccine from uh, J&J. So. The agency said that it was making the revisions based on the latest science indicating that being fully vaccinated cuts the risk of getting infected and spreading the virus to others in addition to preventing severe disease and death. So one study amongst healthcare workers in Israel estimated that the Pfizer vaccine is 97% effective against symptomatic infection and 86% effective against asymptomatic infection. So I think that... uh, if most of us don't know a whole lot about vaccines, which I fall into that category because I am not by any stretch a a great virologist or immunologist or anything like that. Uh, And also I talk about it. We talked about it a good bit. uh, Me and JT did on the guest episode. So shameless plug again, you should totally listen to that. But a 97% efficacy rate in a vaccine is unbelievably good. Like that is that is wildly good, okay? So in other words, 97% of the people that go and get the Pfizer vaccine 
It, they are, it is 100% effective against symptomatic infection, okay, which is incredibly impressive, right? That means that you are very, very, very well protected if you are vaccinated uh, to be able to go out and come into contact with someone that has COVID-19. They're breathing all up in your area, right? They're all up in your bubble, and you still have a very, very good chance of not getting it, Okay. Um, there was also a recent clearance of the Pfizer inoculation for adolescents aged 12 to 15 years old, um, and the greater availability of vaccines in current cases. Case counts also informed the decision, according to Dr. Walensky. So. Uh, they're still saying that unvaccinated people still remain at risk and should continue to wear va masks and get vaccinated as soon as possible. Um, the agency's update also further relaxed guidelines for vaccinated people as COVID-19 cases in the United States continue to drop. So um, the idea is basically, all right, more and more people are getting vaccinated, okay? Because more and more people are getting vaccinated, and now we know, we have the data now that shows that if you are vaccinated, you are inoculated very, very well, and you are kept from actually getting infected with the disease, and not only getting it, but spreading it to other people as well. You can shed the face mask, you can go about your normal life and kind of do your thing, okay? Which is welcomed. It is incredibly welcomed. The interesting thing as well is the reason why, if you're one, if you've wondered in the same way that I have, why the CDC is like slowly but surely rolling a lot of these things back, it's because they literally didn't have the data before. It is that simple. Okay. So, um, a CDC can only act on things that they're able to, to trust and that they're able to verify through data. And when you only have, when you create a vaccine from, ab from absolutely nothing, right, from scratch within less than a year, you just simply do not have the data to back up whether or not the shot is actually going to protect you with an incredibly high efficacy rate over a wide, wide variety of different uh, situations that you may find yourself in, whether you're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, who you're in contact with, uh, where you go, the places that you are. They just need more data in order to be able to verify a lot of those things. So now that we're, you know, we have millions and millions and millions of people worldwide that have actually gotten the vaccine, they're able to say, okay, we can say with a high degree of certainty that if you've gotten the vaccine, you pretty much don't need a mask. Okay. If you're wearing a mask in places uh, after you get vaccinated, fine, but don't necessarily have to do that. So uh, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris went to the White House Rose Garden without wearing masks, and uh, neither one put one on again after their remarks, which is, believe it or not, actually a really big deal because Mr. Biden has made it uh, a very, very clear point that he was going to be a mask-wearing bloke, right? He said, quote, look, we've gotten this far. Please protect yourself until you get the, to the finish line, because as great as this announcement is today— we don't want to let up. So Biden is basically up there like, guys, we got this. We can do it. He's coaching us there through the finish line. We can get this thing done. We can get it knocked out. And we are on the home stretch now. If you get vaccinated, enjoy yourself. Shed your mask for a few minutes while you're outside, you know, six feet away from somebody and wave at your neighbor every now and then and smile. Let them see those beautiful pearly whites, right? <laughs> so... Uh, Senate Minority Leader came out. This was probably the funniest one that I heard. <laughs> Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell came out and said, quote, free at last. 
Oh, God, good old Mitch McConnell. What is he doing? So uh, a lot of Republicans are cheering this. Most Republicans, I think, probably have just not been wearing a mask for a little while now, uh, regardless of if they've gotten the vaccination or not. Uh, but I think the country is ready to get back to a place where they don't have to wear masks everywhere they go. They can go in the restaurants and the places that they want, go out and have a beer and go to a restaurant and enjoy themselves a little bit. So this is definitely welcome news for the vast majority of the country. And it shows that we're getting to a place where the the pandemic is is it's letting up. We're almost there. Like we're almost done with it here a, almost a year and a half later. So very, very welcome news. So with all that, that is the end of our third story and our last story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our last story, something that made me smile. So something that made me smile, or I guess will make me smile this week, is uh, tomorrow we are going up to see some good friends of ours and meet their baby for the first time. Because of all the pandemic and all the crazy stuff that has been going on over the past couple months, we haven't been able to get up and see them, and we are super excited. So shout out to the Barretts if you're listening in. Can't wait to hang out and meet little baby. It'll be a good time. Uh, we're going to have fun, and it'll be good to kind of catch up and see old friends that you, you know, otherwise hadn't been able to see for a really long time. And I know a lot of people, now that everybody's getting vaccinated and things are starting to clear up, are going to be able to enjoy doing that and traveling a little bit more now as well. So with all that, that is the end of our show today. Thank you so much for stopping by, for checking us out, and listening in. As always, y'all remember, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We're always going to be reasonable. And of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. Thank you for listening to Split the Difference podcast, written, recorded, and hosted by Austin Taylor. If you're interested in getting in touch with me on Instagram, you can find me at Split the Difference podcast. I'm on Facebook and YouTube at Split the Difference and on my website at splitthedifference.com. Production for the intro and outro music done by Rosewood Records Recording Studio. If you're interested in booking or learning more about them, you can reach them on Facebook or Instagram at Rosewood Records SC or on their website, www.rosewoodrecordssc.com.